once you've developed that strong relationship with the observer, that observer can then start to curate a different perspective. And that perspective is compassion. James is a men's mental health advocate, content creator and life coach in training. With a focus on compassion, he shares insights and experiences around his own mental health journey and aims to support others, notably men, in their self-awareness and healing journeys. James runs an Instagram account called The Compassionate Man and a podcast called The Honest Bloke Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Refreshing Change podcast. My name is Nicola Scott and I will be your host. James, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to dive in and pick your brains for the next wee while. But um, just as a bit of a how we got to know each other, because I love I love and hate social media. But for things like this, where it brings strangers into your world, I absolutely love it. And I've been following you for a couple of years. We connected and we've had a couple of chats since. So, um, yeah, really appreciate you taking the time. And I'm excited to for what we're going to what we're going to cover but just to introduce yourself to the listeners James do you want to give us a bit of a brief background of of your life and what you're up to um, and <laughs> summarize that and then we'll we'll dive into some good stuff yeah of course so uh, I run a social media account called the compassionate man it used to be called the honest bloke and the kind of uh, like many of us started a passion project during lockdown when the pandemic hit back in 2020 and it was very much a space to share my own experiences around mental health, particularly through the lens of men's mental health and, and sort of the challenges that I'd experienced through that lens of being a man and kind of wanting to encourage and promote the conversation and encourage other men to step up and, and feel comfortable being, you know, being vulnerable and, and opening up and sharing their experiences and just trying to encourage that conversation really. So um, that kind of over the last couple of years grew somewhat, um, got a little bit of a following, um, just, you know, had some fun with it, created some kind of fun content in the beginning, uh, launched a podcast, uh, created a free men's group online, which had like a couple of hundred guys in there. We ran some cool things like a book club and like cold shower challenges and like yeah just just to kind of create a safe space for men to step in and and also ask for advice it was just a safe space to really share and, and explore any challenges that, that they were having um i i kind of stepped away from that last year i uh, went through again a little bit about poor, poor health and and kind of well-being myself and just had to park that stuff for a little bit but you know i'm slowly finding my way back i think social media is quite a um it's a little bit of a beast and it is a challenge to know how to show up and feel comfortable showing up in that space. But um, I'm finding my way back with it. And um, I rebranded around uh, sort of three, three or four months ago um, due to a lot of the work that I've done over the last kind of nine to 12 months and a lot of it being centered around uh, compassion. And uh, I, I worked with a compassion focused therapist towards the end of last year. Um, it was a new type of therapy I'd, I'd, I hadn't really heard of. And as a result of understanding how powerful compassion is as a kind of a perspective, but also a it's a healing modality. It's, it's a way of viewing your own challenges and your own um, struggles with mental health. Um, but in understanding them through a compassionate lens, it actually helps you to dive deeper into them without judging them really then understand them and get to grips with them and 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 integrate them and and heal from them so um 
yeah, I'm, you know, I've got goals to kind of work towards uh, becoming a life coach and, and centering a lot of that through the work of compassion. Um, and, and also work that, that would be, you know, I would love to work with, with all genders in that space, but I also then um, will be building, I'm in the process of rebuilding the men's group as a free service. Um, and that will be launching, it was still a way off yet, but, but hopefully in the next kind of three to six months, I said, I'd give myself this year just to kind of do my work. And then when I'm ready, I'll step back into that stuff. So um, I've probably waffled for a little bit too long there, but hopefully that is a bit of a, uh, a summary on me. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. And we'll definitely, we'll dive into some of those. I'm a big note taker, so scribble some, some notes and I'm sure we'll dive into some of those areas. The, the whole theme for, for, for us was our conversation, knowing that you did the rebrand and it's all about compassion. And actually we touched on that in a previous episode, but I'm keen to get your take on that and we'll, we'll definitely pick up on that but obviously the, the Refreshing Change podcast is all about the change we make in our lives and you've demonstrated even in this summary that you've just shared there's been lots of change for you but has change always played a, an important role in your life is it um, something that's been present throughout how impactful has it been for you? Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I obviously read a, a bit of a draft of your the questions that you were going to discuss. And when you when I read this one, I thought, I'm not going to think too much about it now, because I, I think I, I'd like to just think about it in the moment. And hearing that, yeah, you know, I think change is one of those things that's inevitable. It's it's ever present. It's always happening. But for me, um, I think change has has always been there and i think i've always feared it i think change and fear go quite quite uh, synonymously for, for for many of us mm-hmm. um and we you know i've certainly resisted i think i've resisted change however i was completely ignorant and unaware of how much i actually would find myself changing in different environments and different um you know sort of changing and shape-shifting to fit other people's narratives or other people's expectations I think reflecting on my life from being very young I think I wasn't made to feel very safe being myself and a lot of that came from being quite a highly sensitive boy and not really having the skill set or being nurtured to, to manage that I think I was kind of always deemed to be again quite overly sensitive and quite hypersensitive and so um, as a result, I wasn't made to feel very safe from a young age in exploring that or, or managing it, you know, managing it really. So um, I think that ultimately led to me hiding a lot of myself. And then as a result, I felt like I needed to change a lot around people. So, um, yeah, I've always felt like I think various people throughout my life have called me a bit of a shapeshifter. And I think that's ultimately a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Um, and only in my kind of as my self-awareness around these things has has become higher and more present it's allowed me to start questioning why these things would happen why do I feel that I would change around certain people what is it about me not feeling enough as I am that makes me feel like I need to adapt my personality my energy my uh the way I articulate in front of certain certain people you know what why is that not enough how I would do that normally and why do I then overthink that and change that so um yeah it's it's and I think as I found I've built that awareness and as I've then kind of delved into those parts of myself obviously that's a some pretty heavy work and it's quite confronting and I think it definitely it it 
it requires a lot of uh it's quite humbling i think it, it can be very challenging to sit there and realize that your ego uh creates these versions of yourself and wants to be seen and wants to be i don't know whether it's this version of yourself or that version of yourself but um you know through kind of curiosity rather than judgment i think that was one of the the big perspective shifts that i've had and also the compassionate element it's allowed me to really come back to understanding yeah those parts of myself and ultimately then feel more comfortable within myself so yeah yeah brilliant um yeah i'm so glad you mentioned a couple of um i suppose buzzwords that that come up in a lot of my coaching or that i'm really passionate about or that i've you know spoken to other guests about but self-awareness i i suppose i believe is at the center of, of anything we're going to do because like you say if you have this level of self-awareness where you can go and be curious where you can go and make the right change for you where you can understand why we're showing up in a certain way that leads to more impactful change i believe because often you know we can go anyone can go and create change in their life but if it's not aligned and intentional and uh, i suppose purpose-driven and linked to who you really are at the core then we're kind of wasting our time we're gonna because we'll go so far down that path and then realize this isn't what it's all about this isn't happiness this isn't joy and actually need to change again so um like you say it is deep work and it you know it takes time and patience and um yeah i loved i love some of the descriptions you used in that so thank you so much for that um and actually the next kind of follow-on from that was going to be around some of your demonstration of vulnerability and honesty and compassion because that's one of the things that i suppose i'd been following you for a while and there's a couple of posts that you'd shared and i've i've had have shared with, with with you off air um but a couple of posts you shared that i thought were really um profound in the way that you dealt with other people's thoughts or opinions or negativity um so first of all high five for showing up showing up in that sort of online digital space with such vulnerable honest and compassionate thoughts and uh, being able to express them but what kind of led you I suppose to that you, you said that you've been working in the main space what kind of led you to to that work in the first place if you're happy to share that James yeah so I have I think my own journey around mental health or my awareness around my emotional well-being um I think is a better way of putting a better way of putting it that kind of started in oh goodness me it would have been sort of late 2014 so sort of seven or eight years um about seven years ago um was when I first had my kind of like first major breakdown um and as a result became chronically depressed for a, about two years um and really went on a journey with that it was uh you know it, it, i fell apart emotionally i fell apart mentally i i suddenly went from very very high achieving in in you know corporate environments in jobs always been extremely successful um and i became what what felt like really really uh delicate um highly self-critical extremely depressed um and that was kind of the start of my my mental health journey um you know I, I had been lucky enough to when I was about 17 I went through a bit of an angry period as a as a as a teenager and um even actually at that point 
I went to my GP and ended up speaking to speaking to a counsellor at that point. So I'd already had some experience of reaching out and asking for help. Um, and I actually sought out, uh, yeah, I sought out the same counsellor um, sort of around about, yeah, in about 2015, 2016. So, you know, what was that? About nine, eight or nine years after the first time I'd seen her. And um, yeah, you know, I, I say that was my kind of journey into understanding my mental health and speaking to someone about it and, and learning to understand that I don't have all the answers and things happen inside our consciousness and and things happen to us that we we don't understand the impact of them you know there and then and um i also learned about the experience of of how helpful and how healing it is to actually share and be open about that i shared my first post on an, on a social media platform late 2015 where i said i'd been struggling with depression for a, a year um and that gave me some wonderful feedback from friends and family and help me understand the power of sharing. Um, so that was kind of my journey uh, individually and in looking at my own mental health. Um, and then in, what was it, in May of 2018, um, unfortunately I lost a very close friend of mine to suicide. And having spent, let's say from that moment where I shared that first social media post in December, 2015, I'd spent the next two and a half years being quite vocal and quite outspoken and, and speaking up about mental health and, you know, had had some wonderful conversations and without realizing it at the time, you know, I'd become a bit of a space holder to, to others, um, become quite a safe space where in my vulnerability, people felt safe showing, sh you know, showing and sharing them parts of themselves with me. Um, and when, when my friend Harry lost his life to suicide, um, I sat there and I reflected on how, despite all, all the time that he and I had spent together one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, in certain social environments, but it was more that one-to-one -one setting, you know, we'd go for walks down the beach together. We'd go to the pub together to watch the football. Um, now, not all the time that were they sort of intimate environments where we were having these open conversations. Sometimes there was drinks, you know, sometimes there was recreational drugs at that time in my life. Um, but I sat there and went, how were the, how were there so many times where we spent time together and I actually had absolutely no idea that he had been struggling or that he was anywhere remotely close to suffering that much, that that, that was the, the way that he, you know, the action that he, he felt he had to take. Mm -hmm. um, and I sat there objectively and I reflected on it and I said, right, okay, well, how is this happening? And that led me into the, you know, learning about the things like male suicide rates. And the, from there, the conversations just progressed and developed and, you know, things like my relationship around alcohol, my relationship around drugs, my relationship around um, my masculinity started to shift and I started to become, again, self-inquiring. I started looking inwards at that, but then, yeah, looking more broadly at how men show up and I started to notice some things that I, I didn't feel comfortable about and I realised that I'd learned were how we're meant to show up as men. And, um, yeah, just started to unpick the... Uh, the sort of complicated web of of what what modern masculinity is or, or more importantly what it isn't so that's kind of what led me into it mm. and it's so true and it's, i resonate with it with aspects of your story and your journey where a lot of what we've gone through in our own life stimulates us to then go and share that with others and help other people through maybe similar struggles or or, or 
a kind of similar journey that we've maybe been on ourselves. And I, I know you, you touched on that at the very beginning in terms of the work, the deep work that you've done in the last kind of six to 12 months to then mm. relaunch the men's group and have re, having rebranded as the compassionate man. Our, our journey constantly evolves, but in going through our own struggles and doing our own work, it's so um, powerful the impact then it can have on other people that we can go out and help and serve. Does that ring true for you? Yeah, I can see you nodding. Yeah, I think that was um, I think that was one of the uh, one of the areas that that actually I, I ended up experiencing massive resistance last year was, I mean, imposter syndrome is a is a thing, mm. whilst it's a label. Um, whatever that feeling was that arose within me was you know I was I was experiencing deep deep challenges um you know panic attacks um all sorts last year in the idea of, of actually launching businesses in this space and I think a lot of that was due to the fact that deep down I, I maybe didn't I may, maybe maybe knew I wasn't quite ready to hold the space and support people in the way that I wanted to whether that by you know I hadn't got my coaching certs yet for life coaching I hadn't done any men's retreats uh and don't get me wrong these these aren't necessary there is no framework and rule set that you have to abide by in order to coach men or facilitate you know holding space for men um but a few of those things mixed with a a number of external factors or or factors going on in my life it just meant it wasn't the right time for me to do that um you know i've given myself this year i I put a post up about it uh, a few days i think a couple of weeks ago where i said I've, i've given myself this entire year um to be a student again and that and to be a student of myself mm-hmm. and as a result of that this year i have absolutely gone you know head first into listening to the parts of myself that i think need love need attention need exploration um need understanding that i need to heal shame over and yeah I mean we're we're halfway through the year and I've done a shitload of that so <laughs> um and and it feels don't get me wrong it's been confronting challenging but it's also been beautiful it's been powerful it's been crazy exciting I've done some things this year that, that you know I never would have dreamed of doing um never knew that they were on the agenda of things I felt called towards until I sat with them and went what do I want to do this year what do I feel called to explore what actually where, where does shame show up in my life and how do I heal that so yeah it's yeah definitely it's it's a hundred percent all of that <laughs> yeah brilliant I love that being a student about yourself and I suppose mm. that you know learning is a lifelong quest isn't it but learning also just isn't about reading a book or going on a webinar or doing a course it is about mm. you know like a lot of the stuff you said it's going inwards and asking yourself lots of questions understanding why where things come from why we think the way we do looking at your perception of the world challenging some of your thought processes understanding mm-hmm. where there's the shame or the guilt or what's triggering certain emotions like that is really powerful powerful learning and I think as well like this there's a big part of that in I think one of the biggest breakthroughs that I had um particularly with the work I've done this year is I felt over the past couple of years, I've been cultivating a lot of awareness. And don't get me wrong, self-awareness is a powerful, powerful tool. It, for me, is the gateway to change. However, upon self-awareness, what can often happen is you feel as though you're becoming aware of why things are the way that they are. You understand the processes and the mechanisms and the history and the, the experiences that led you to feel a certain way or to develop a certain character trait or skill set or 
undesirable part of your personality if that's what you're working on or, or listening into but what can happen and what happened for me was I felt as though I was cultivating all of this awareness around all of this stuff and why I felt the way I felt and why I was the way that I was but then I didn't know how to actually then begin the work to heal it and take action um, and, and that that's that that was the thing that actually in actually uh created the change or begun to curate that change and that that change of behavior or change of mindset was by taking action was getting uncomfortable actually stepping into environments scenarios tasks uh people um which i hadn't done previously and that's where the you know there's this sort of this for me a bit of a two-pronged approach of cultivate the awareness but then you need to take action with it as well and that action doesn't necessarily mean you have to go and take like wild crazy action action can be withdrawing yourself from a situation it can be changing your environment so that you're not you know that you give yourself the space to heal and the space to cultivate more awareness you know there's there's a bit of a, a dance that those two things do but um yeah i think that that making sure that you take action um is is then the next step after you've recognized and built that awareness around what you want to do mm. i find that a lot in my coaching and, and uh, i've similar to you been doing a bit of a rebrand and um creating my own coaching framework and it also came from a place of seeing a lot of people out there doing what exactly what we've just been chatting about but the jumping to taking the action but missing the mm. bit with the self-awareness so it's okay. folk are great at you know goal setting or thinking about what they want to achieve or to to have and going after that but my, my I suppose my perception of people that I see in society is that they forget to do the who really am I what really lights me up like what motivates me what are my values am I living in congruent you know congruently with them am I in alignment am I being authentic to who I really am they miss that bit out and they go chasing the goal mm. so I yeah I love that it's uh you highlighted that it's a two-pronged ap approach and you can't do you can't do one without the other um mm. it's almost like you say the self-awareness leads you to take the most appropriate action for you in that moment and again I'm I'm big on that that doesn't mean that six months from now the action will be the same or you would choose to do things the same or differently you know life's constantly evolving and one decision you make today might be different to how you would decide that tomorrow so it's just yeah. it's, it's tapping into that what's right for me at this moment with the knowledge and insight that I have about myself and the world and mm -hmm. uh, going and, and taking that action wholeheartedly so yeah I love that you said about you've obviously had lots of experiences this year where you've just gone and lived life to the fullest and you said earlier but ask yourself what do you really want to do which I think not enough people ask themselves that question and again I don't know if this is your perception of society if we're generalizing um and you can understand why this is the case but I think a lot of people live on that hamster wheel where life is happening to them you know you suddenly get halfway through the year and think what have I done with my year you know has it been the same as it was the year before and so yeah. I love that the, the intention to go and do stuff that yeah might be a bit scary, might be a bit challenging, but you're yeah. listening to something inside you that's calling you to do something different. So it's yeah, is that fair? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know the again comes back to the, the important thing is is awareness. So one of the things that um, that kind of 
one of, one of the big things that that shit that sort of opened up this opportunity to to go on this journey of like self-reflection and self-improvement and taking action and healing shame and all of this stuff um was a uh, so you know my romantic relationship ended in january and my partner and i have been together for well like a year and three year and four months and um you know when relationships are mirrors you know intimate romantic relationships are mirrors and they will always bring up areas of you that you try to hide mm. uh parts of yourself that you feel shame feel embarrassment feel are unworthy of love and as a result those parts for you know for me anyway i, I definitely wouldn't want to speak to my you know my, my ex-partner's experience but for me that definitely happened you know i became a, a similar pattern that came up for me during that relationship had happened in my last two relationships before that where after a number of months, the shine wears off, you know, the, the honeymoon period, you know, if you want to call it that, is over. And then when you're left with the reality of who those people are, the way that I feel when that scenario hits is, shit, I'm not good enough. And I'm struggling to keep the, the magic and the image of this perfectly curated man who, whatever, you know, whatever image and what, whatever words and feelings and, and things that I want to feel about myself, when they're no longer there and I'm left with the reality of who I am, uh, I, I don't like that person or I don't feel that person is good enough and that don't feel that person deserves deserves love, you know, to be loved or to love themselves or to give love. It becomes a, an, a deeply codependent, deeply conditional scenario and it's not conducive to, to a healthy relationship. So, you know, when that ended, I sat there and, 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 and I've done a lot of work in identifying areas where shame showed up in my life. And, uh, you know, some of that was around my emotions, some of that was around sex, some of that was around um, just parts of myself that actually I would love to explore and I'd love to express, but somewhere in me, I judge myself mm -hmm. for those parts. And so, yeah, you know, I've, I've, as I say, I've lent into so many of those parts this year and I've explored parts of those this year that I never, you know, in times past would have scared the living daylights out of me. Um, but this year I've moved forward and, and lent into that discomfort and it's been incredible. It's been absolutely amazing. Oh, and congrats, because it's not easy to do. Mm. It's so, it, it, and again, like you say about, about the taking action, it's easy to have the, well, it's not easy, correct myself having the awareness is one thing but then having the courage to take bold action is a completely different ball game so like mm. acknowledge yourself for that James because that is phenomenal I love it so you talk we've talked a lot about compassion and that I suppose that comes just when you're talking about the shame there and I again I'm, I'm big on like shame and guilt I think suffocates so many people and it and it could be for a number of different things, whether like you've just described, there's shame around um, who you are and being comfortable with your emotions and that that kind of thing. But and again, I see probably, it's interesting when you look at people's language, you know, how many people use phrases like, I should do this, or I wish I'd done that, or, you know, people beat themselves up on a daily basis, which layers mm. on, whether they're aware of it or not, but that is shame. I, I see that as shame, you know, I should have done this. and it just adds another layer of unhelpful emotions that it has no purpose and it doesn't serve us. So 
Mm. I find it a really fascinating topic. But talk to me about like what does compassion mean to you and how do you embody it? Okay, that's a really good question. One thing I do want to touch on as well is is what you just said there about how um how shame doesn't serve us. So mm. I, I there's a big part of me that agrees with that, but when I when I hear that something doesn't serve us, I feel like that we are then shaming shame itself. Yeah. And, yeah, and in, in essence, the way that I sort of feel about that or the way that I reframe that is that shame shows up in our bodies and in our thoughts and in in how we're feeling in, in any given moment where we feel a part of us is exposed that we've previously been shamed for externally. So when shame arises within us, it's usually in the some sort of physical sensation, our nervous system kicks in, we go into fight or flight, we feel sweaty, we feel um, anxious. And, and ultimately, that physiological response is there to try and keep us safe from that perceived judgment we're about to experience. Now, yeah it, it doesn't serve us in terms of moving you know sort of in terms of building kind of being ourselves in in our in our f- sort of entirety and in in yeah just in that whatever the word is i'm looking for it doesn't help us in that way but it is a mechanism that is designed to keep us safe and in doing that and in seeing it like that it then doesn't essentially you stop shaming yourself for having shame within you mm-hmm. so um but that's that kind of leads you on to compassion I've, I've learned i think it was in my first my first session um with a compassion focused therapist so this was like november last year um introductory session with a therapist if you've ever had one you'll know it's a bit of a like a it's just a bit of a nervous experience you know you don't know how when you open up and share your experiences and what you're wanting to dive into and what challenges you've been having, how, how that's going to land. Um, I'm quite a talker. I will just, you know, again, when you cultivate self-awareness and you think you know what your problems are, you, I'll just go on a rant with those and I'll say, right, here's what my problems are. Here's how I'm feeling. I hate how I feel when this comes up. I don't like this about myself. This, 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 hate, hate, hate. Don't like that. Don't like that. Don't like that. Um, and I think it was after about 40 minutes into an hour session, uh, my therapist just sat there and looked at me and went, wow, you, uh, you really, really need to be more compassionate to yourself, don't you? <laughs> and I went, you know, part, you know, if, if I was, if I was a skeptic and if I hadn't been through the process and if I really didn't love and adore the process of therapy, I might have sat there and gone, well, fucking yeah, I do. <laughs> but that was her genuine response in that moment Mm. and when she then sort of elaborated a little bit she said to me the way that you speak to yourself is so critical it's so negative it's so harsh it's 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 abusive and when she gave me some examples you know it's a really common one where someone will say to you know oh if you spoke to if you spoke to someone else the way that you speak to yourself right Mm-hmm. and and I hear that and I think it sounds cliche but actually when you sit with that and you say to yourself if I spoke to someone else or if if I heard someone else speaking to another person the way that I speak to myself I would step in mm-hmm. I would say if it was a person on the street if it was friends or family I would step in and say 
you cannot speak to that person that way. Stop that. I don't care what, what the issue is here. That's not okay. You need to understand that that's not acceptable. And then when you realize that there is a voice inside you that speaks to you that way, speak to yourself that way, you recognizing that you that's self-abuse. Mm-hmm. And ultimately the work that we then went on to do together was to understand how to cure, you know, cultivate compassion in those moments where that, that inner critic comes out. Um, and yeah, when you start the first, again, the st- first step is awareness. When you start bringing awareness to your own inner critic, uh, it becomes overwhelming. Well, it did for me anyway, and it often, I imagine it would do for many other people, as to just how you speak to yourself and how regularly you speak to yourself in that abusive way. It's, it's frightening. And once you learn to just how common it is that you speak to yourself so disgustingly, you then have to sort of go take the next step to when you hear that voice. For me, I think one of the big breakthroughs I had was I recognized that there are two, there are two voices within me or there are two, I almost see them like a little devil and a little angel on your shoulder. I mean, I'm not a religious person, but it's maybe one of the best sorts of imagery that, that, that maybe brings it to life. But we have that in a critic, but we also on the other shoulder, we have this observer and the observer is the part of us you know, in a spiritual world, you might call it your higher self and your ego, right? But the observer is the part of you that when that voice speaks up, when that inner critic comes out, the other one can go, ah, that's the inner critic. He's speaking up again. That's okay. Again, an observer doesn't judge. It doesn't criticize. It doesn't uh, try to um, rationalize. It doesn't try to sort of speak down about it. What it does is it simply observes when that's speaking up, first of all. And when that happens, you recognize that as soon as, you, as soon as you're in the observer, there's another voice in there. There's another voice going, ah, there's that inner critic again. And once you've developed that strong relationship with the observer, that observer can then start to curate a different perspective. And that perspective is compassion. So instead of the inner critic, which is usually out of judgment and out of fear, it judges yourself, judges the part of you, and that's where all the shame comes through. When that, inner, it, when that observer begins to, and, and the thing is, the more you do it, the more finely tuned it becomes, the stronger it becomes. You start to, it, you, you might do it once a day, recognize where your inner critic comes out, but the next day you do it two or three times. And then the next day, all of a sudden, you just become way, way, way more uh, aware of when you are speaking to yourself from your inner critic. So when you learn to do that, I mean, I had a great example. I think it was about a month ago. I'd finished work on a Friday. I think I do like a half day in my office job on a Friday, 12.30. And I said to myself, I was going to go to the gym. Like that was my thing. Finish work, go to the gym, get it done. Like looking forward to it, talk to myself, you know, hype myself up for it. 12:30 came. I went and sat on the sofa for an hour, played on my phone, napped for two hours, uh, whilst kind of in and out of dozing in and out of a nap, watching something on Netflix. Uh, then I made some food. It got to 4:30, and I sat there on the sofa, realized I'd been procrastinating for four hours. As I looked at that time on my phone, it said 4:36 p.m. 
and I said to myself, these are the words that were coming out of my mouth were, or in my head, my inner critic says, actually said the words, what the fuck is wrong with you? Those were the exact words that I said to myself. What's wrong with you? And as soon as that voice came out, the other one went, ah, there he is. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and the next thing that came out was, and I said to myself out loud, I went, absolutely nothing is wrong with you. And I just laughed. I actually laughed out loud to myself, looked like a crazy person because I realized that my observer had become strong. It had become so aware of where this other, and the inner critic is, again, it serves a purpose. It is designed to keep you safe. If you start to do something that maybe in a time in the past you did and someone laughed at you, your inner critic is designed to, it's designed to keep you safe. So if you start doing something that it feels you're not safe doing, it will go, ah, stop it. Don't do that. You shouldn't do that. It's, it, is, it, it serves a purpose, but it usually does it by being quite nasty to you. Mm. So that's where we just learn to become more compassionate to ourselves. And ultimately, you start then healing that inner critic. You start loving yourself more. You start being kinder to yourself. And believe it or not, it just feels really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and it's so funny that you use that example of um, like, would you speak to someone else the way that your inner critic speaks to yourself? Because I was literally scribbled it down just before you said it, because I think it's such a good analogy. Um, same about, and I suppose it goes beyond just what we what we think, but how we treat ourselves, how we look after our body, how we, you know. I often think, you know, one of my things I'm working on is trying to remember to have breakfast in the morning I'm not very good at it and I always think the same sort of analogy if I was having a guest over to stay of course I would get up and make them breakfast like I wouldn't rush out the door like I do and don't give myself breakfast so it's you know it's a useful analogy yes massively for your inner critic but also just how you treat yourself do you treat yourself with love and kindness on a daily basis it's that again not a big fan of the cliches but it's that classic like the longest relationship you're ever in in your life is with yourself mm-hmm. so we need to you know learn to self-kindness self-love self-care and and like you say that compassion is a gateway into into all of that so yeah I absolutely love that and I love that you use the word kindness because it is that you know I often say like if, if if we were all kinder if everyone in the world was a little like a couple of percent more kind in life the world mm-hmm. would just be such a better place and whether that's kindness to themselves or to others but it just if we raise the vibration of kindness globally mm. oh god i think it would change uh, the world i read a really great quote earlier i think it said something along the lines of before any words pass your lips they need to uh they need to i said i think that they need to pass through three gates one is is it true mm. two is it honest and three is it kind and if it doesn't pass through all those three gates, it shouldn't come out of your mouth. So I quite like, you know, I read that and I went, don't get me wrong. I don't think it, is, it would be possible to necessarily get that right every time, but I think it's a great mantra and a great approach to just being more aware of the words that you're using and, and the intentions behind them. Yeah, aspirational, isn't it? In terms of just that mm. conscious, Definitely. conscious choice about what, what we put out to the world. Mm. Um, you, we've, we've touched on self-awareness loads which I, which I love um mm. but also and you were talking about that I suppose growing the observer and trying to um almost like disempower that inner critic a little bit but I think it's 
yeah, and I'd love your take on this, James, but I suppose my opinion is that the, the goal is never to get rid of the inner critic because even the mm. most personally developed and uh, people that have done loads of work on themselves, are, the inner critic's always going to be there, right? So the skill, yep. the skill and the aspiration isn't to completely eradicate it, it is to understand it's going to show up and have the tools and techniques to be able to challenge it as and when we need. Is that is that fair? Yeah. You're never, you're, are? You are never going to get rid of it. And so as a result, but again, like if, if your goal is to get rid of it, then ultimately you are shaming that part of you. Mm, yeah. So if you, if you are, if you are saying that is a part of me that I do not want to have, ask yourself why. Mm. And it's because you feel that part of you is not worthy of love kindness compassion so you can't get rid of it and actually the more you try and get rid of it the more it grows because you are criticizing the inner critic so you're actually feeding into it whereas if you give it love compassion understanding it it's a tool it teaches you stuff it teaches you about your trauma it teaches you about your triggers it teaches you about your own areas of development and Ultimately, again, as I say, if you reframe it through a compassionate way, it helps you heal the shame over it. It'll never go away. But if you nurture a positive, supportive, kind relationship with your inner critic, you will learn like bucket loads more about yourself. You will grow tenfold compared to if you continue trying to silence and get rid of it. Like there's such a different energy in those two approaches. Get rid of, delete, cancel, eradicate, or you know, nurture, support, listen to, you'll actually find that in the latter of those, that's what will actually, I don't know if your inner critic was a physical being, but if it was, if it was, if it had a physical size, it would get, let's say maybe smaller or less red and angry. It would become a little more supple, a little more soft, a little less aggressive if you give it the latter. Whereas the other ones, it will just be louder, red screaming, uh you know it's gonna it's gonna overwhelm and take over areas of your life if you continue to shame that part of you yeah and that is and I think that with self-awareness is uh, uh, for me the goal is never to to completely change who we are I think um because I, I see it in people sometimes like oh I'm not good at this thing or I'm good at that thing or I've learned that thing about myself and I'm gonna totally change there's a lot which is innately in us, which we can't, you know, there's a, there's an acceptance or an, uh, I suppose, a, uh, it's like having the awareness and then I, I like to call it like life hacking, you know, based on this information I know about myself, how do I hack myself to happiness with that, being aware of that situation? And I suppose the, um, there's loads of different examples, you know, there's things that I wasn't, uh, necessarily good at at work but I knew that was a weakness it wasn't I had the awareness but it wasn't where I wanted to put my energy and focus or things like I'm default I'm not a morning person I'm not going to spend years shaming myself into trying to become a morning person there's an acceptance of like I'm better in the evenings I'm cool with that so there's a mm. self-awareness isn't always the path to changing who we are at the core but it gives us insight into where this where where's the change that we need to make for our healing or for our or for our ultimate wellness or happiness but also where's mm. the acceptance needed to live life in peace with who we who we are 
Yeah, it comes down to being enough. That, that's yeah. that's the yeah. thing is that it, yeah. it's it's the the foundation from which you build your personal development or your growth or your healing. Mm-hmm. If it is if it is I am not enough or I am not good enough, so therefore I need to fix things. Yeah, you will you will never ever feel good enough because there's always something to improve. But again, it's that whole thing of improve or fix. Those two things have very, very different connotations or different energies around them. If you are enough as you are, but you then seek to just improve, develop, grow, because that feels great. And you're just someone who, you know, wants to get the most out of life. And you're aware that we're human and we are imperfect. And all of us have struggles and challenges and shame and trauma and all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, that's what unites us and that what actually puts us all on an even keel we're all imperfect and so as a result we are all enough there is no not good enough or better than or anything like that we're all just individuals and and humans on our own journey and but again you have to come from a position of regardless of how I feel or what I feel I could improve because everyone can improve anything and everything no one can there's, there's everyone can improve everything so if you start from just being enough as you are, which don't get me wrong, that's a very, very, uh, you know, that is a very easy thing to say mm. and often very, very difficult to actually embody and live, but that will likely be based on your conditioning and your trauma and your inner critic and your beliefs about yourself, which have happened, you know, which have been, which garnered from, again, experience and people being horrible to you. Um but you are enough. And that's just about, again, cultivate that belief and cultivate that as your foundation. So any growth and development is just f- fun along the way to what death? Cause we will die one day. <laughs> I was going to say to join happiness. I feel like <laughs> in, the, in the direction of striving <laughs> for, for happiness and joy and peace, but equally mm. death will, will come upon us all at some point. <laughs> One of life's many problems. Um, we've talked about a lot about self-compassion, and with you working in the, I know you said you work with all genders, but predominantly in the men's space at the moment. Mm. Um, I actually spoke about this on another podcast around people being able to go and ask for help, and I suppose stereotypically, if we want to talk about this kind of generically in society, it's probably deemed that men are less forthcoming with asking for help than maybe women are in, in the kind of mental health space so mm-hmm. with that with the kind of compassion towards others in mind how do we get more men and arguably women and and you know how do we get more people to talk and go and ask for help what's what would be your um so yeah that's a again really great question I think um because it does it, it starts with yourself like when you when you when you begin to look inwards and start learning about your own challenges, what that does is if you suddenly have a breakthrough and you recognize that, oh my God, I didn't realize I was the way I was, you know, this, I am this way because this happened to me. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that, whether you've come to that, whether you come to that uh, awareness on your own or as a result of speaking to a therapist, again, once you've learned to reframe and, and become more compassionate towards yourself, um, I think that that automatically helps you become more compassionate to 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 others, um, and ultimately, what it does is it sets the example. The 
idea of reaching out and asking for help doesn't happen ultimately because someone doesn't feel safe doing so. Why they might not feel safe doing so, there might be a narrative in their head that it's weak, um, they might be too scared, understandably. Um, you know, the idea of, of discussing and opening up, they could be exposed to ridicule, um, maybe particularly on the men's side, who knows, um, but you know, this narrative of, of men being vulnerable and, and kind of it not fitting the stereotypical societal expectations around masculinity. Um, you know, there is no, there is no singular way or definitive way to definitely, you know, make someone feel safe. But it starts with starts with with the example. It starts with living and embodying that. And I think one of the other key kind of skill sets that you can kind of nurture within yourself is this idea of space holding and learning to hold space for other people. Um, it's you know the term holding space. I came across like a couple of years ago, and when I kind of learned what it was, I realised that I'd accidentally been doing it. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd naturally unconsciously been holding space for people my whole life and all that was was creating a safe space in order for someone to share vulnerably but often what created that and facilitated that was me sharing my own but you know my own challenges and be, me being vulnerable myself um I, I you know I, I reflect on my relationships with you know I feel like many men have got like you know their their boys and like you know the lads and the ones that maybe they I don't know still hang around with from school or go to the pub and watch the football with or go and have some beers with and all that sort of stuff um I think that those in sorts of environments will always be a challenge to um I don't you know because ultimately those they're, they're driven by uh competition they're driven by banter they're driven by um yeah you know ridicule and things like that and, and I think there can be a space for that but Outside of that, I remember reflecting on all my relationships and whenever I was one-on-one -on -one with one of, the, one of the lads, that's where intimacy would happen. That's where vulnerability would happen. That's where conversations about our relationships, our feelings, our pain, our struggles, our, all of that stuff would come out and it would flow because that person felt safe. So if you are someone who feels that they need that, if you don't feel like you have that, then look for other opportunities. Look to look to create new friendships. Look to, you know, look 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 around you and see who makes you feel safe emotionally. Look who shares their experiences and, and practices vulnerability, practices compassion. You know, it, that might feel foreign to you. That might feel really like I don't I don't know what that looks like. And if that's the case, then that's your starting point. Learn what it looks like. Start listening to people. You know, listening to different people start listening to different podcasts start hanging around in different circles um start reading things online um but yeah you know ultimately holding learn how to hold space for others um and that is ultimately listening validating their experience not necessarily uh giving someone advice if they haven't specifically asked for your input on on what they're struggling with but just acknowledging actively listening telling them like you know shit that must be hard like that sucks man um i'm really sorry that you're going through that um you know maybe maybe if 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 it's right share your experiences that that maybe support their experience that again reinforces and and, and and validates their experience more so if, if you have those you know if you have a similar experience but 
Um, yeah, I think that learning to hold space for others um, without judgment, without fixing, men do this a lot, you know, when maybe in heterosexual relationships, woman, a stereotypical example, but woman has issue in her life, vents to man, man offers solution. And the woman wasn't looking for a solution. She just wanted to be heard. Mm-hmm. And then the guy, then the man says, well, I, go over the, I gave her the solution and she didn't do it. So what does she want from me? And it's like this whole thing. Men just need to, and we all need to learn how to just hold space and sit and listen and acknowledge someone's struggles without judging or, or fixing. Yeah, and that, that example, again, I suppose, just to add one on, is a communication, isn't it? Communicating your needs. So actually being able to verbalise, I, you know, I'm going to vent to you. I don't, I don't need you to solve it for me, but I need the space to be able to offload. Because that is, like you say, very different to going to someone to say, I really need mm. your help to help, you know, help me problem solve or help me come up with a solution to this. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love that. And, I, and I, you mentioned listening. Because I do think, you know, if this, if this area is new to people or you're like, people are like, I've no idea where to even start. Space holding can maybe feel a bit... Um, overwhelming or a bit like I don't really know what to do but just sit and Mm. listen and actually that the skill of listening is such an art Um, Mm. and if all you do is is go into the conversation listening and almost like imagine your mouth taped over that you can't respond because I think a lot of people and again I don't know whether fast-paced society or just the way people expect response immediate responses with everything in life now people don't listen for listening sake anymore they listen to respond and a lot of the time that is not like you say that's not holding space it's it's just allowing someone to offload and listen mm. and that, there's that again another cliche but we've all got two ears and one mouth for a reason so it's it's it might feel a bit awkward if you've never done it before but just think on really intentionally just listening and fully honing into that person trying mm. to cancel out the rest of the world and just be there and that will be felt by the other person. And I suppose, like you say, that creating that safe space for people to be able to go there. Definitely. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And if you, that's such a gift to give that to someone as well, isn't it? So powerful. Mm. Yeah, it really um, is. James, that's amazing. So I suppose just to wrap it up, so we've, we've, we've covered so much in that. I, I absolutely <laughs> love chatting. I knew we would um, go off on loads of tangents with all your wisdom and knowledge but if folk were starting out on their own compassion journey other besides following you on instagram at, at the at compassionate man what else you know would be the starter we've just chatted about about um about listening and holding space but if they were looking at their kind of self-compassion where where would people start uh so for me if it feels if you feel called towards it but you don't know where to begin like social media is a great place, like other than stuff that I might share or talk about or whatever. Um, yeah, social media accounts, there are, you know, there are therapists that run incredibly powerful, um, uh, you know, safe, because I mean, social media is safe because it's it's a screen that you can observe content, watch videos, listen to podcast conversations, and, and no one knows you're doing it. Mm. So, you know, search hashtag compassion whilst that is you know or you know there, there are great accounts I would follow people like um the holistic psychologist I would follow people like um Josh Connolly um I would follow yeah like there are loads of great accounts out there um can't think of any off the top of my head now but they are pumping out 
free content for you that will then you know and these people have podcasts they have workshops they have uh you know six week 10 week 12 week on week you know online coaching programs that you know uh josh has one called inner you which is like six weeks uh, you know and, and it's and it's not you know don't get me wrong i, th- I think it's like a hundred quid you know by the way if, if josh is listening to this i'll get some you know, it doesn't give me any sort of uh like confinders fee or anything like that but like the, these sorts of programs are available. Some of them are more expensive. Some of them are more intimate. Some of them you work one-on-one. Some of them you work in groups of eight. Some of them are 12-month programs. But it starts just by consume some free content. Start there um, and see what you feel called towards because there will be context around, you know, they're, they'll be sharing content around you know, maybe compassion or healing, um, but it would be to do with your family systems. It will be with, to do with your relationship towards your dad. It will be to do with your um, intimate sexual partners. It will be to do with all of these different contexts. And you might sit there and go, oh my God, that's an area I need to look at being more compassionate towards myself, or that's an area I need to stop judging myself for, or that's something I need to lean into. And then again, it just it will just blossom from there. But maybe to do that, create a space for you to consume this type of content. If you follow a thousand Instagram accounts and none of them are to do with your own personal development or healing, have a look at that, clear them out, get rid of them and, and re, you know, re-engage with some more, um, you know, some more kind of intentional accounts that you're, you, you sort of, you're choosing to follow to, to sort of, yeah, get stuck into this stuff. Yeah, I love that. Dip a toe and then figure it out and dive in, isn't it? So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, I love that. Absolutely. James, thank you so much for your time. I've loved that. I'm sure the listeners have taken loads of, uh, taking your wisdom on board. But yeah, just thank you. And um, thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. And make sure you subscribe and follow the podcast so that next week you can join us again.